0: Proverbs 4, verses 1 to 19. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil." Avoid it, do not go on it, turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. This is God's words. So the God of the universe decided to create man and initiate a
1: relationship with him. And unlike animals who act wholly on instinct, God created man to respond freely to him, to respond freely in a relationship with him. And so God gave man the law as a clear black and white, clear black and white ways for us to show him that we love him back, to respond back and say, God, we love you. In fact, if you read the Ten Commandments, you'll notice that every commandment in those ten is either an expression of love for God or love for neighbor. The first four are love for God. The next six are love for neighbor. So so even as the world has grown more complicated since those laws were written, all the way back in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, even as the world's grown more complicated then as it has now, and it is now, God didn't leave man to fend for himself or to construct a sort of ever-evolving moral code to sort of fit with the times. Instead, God recognized there are gray areas in life. And because of that, he gave us the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is God's way of acknowledging that decisions aren't always just black and white. Many are. I have to say that. Maybe even you can say most are. But some need to take into account priorities. Need to take into account timing. Need to take into account a wise plan for execution. right? For doing the right thing. And so we have Proverbs. I some examples of this would be like a boss who asks you to do something uncomfortable. And it's not illegal, but as you look at it, it seems unethical. And so you can't just accommodate what he or she says to you. And so what do you do? Do you resist? Do you delay? Do you run? Or do you immediately confront? Do you, do you flee or do you fight it? Or is there some kind of in-between? That's why we have Proverbs. And it's not just for sort of Fork-in-the-road life decisions, pivotal life decisions. It's for the everyday kinds of decisions. Like, should I get this person a gift? When I go over to this person's home, should I make something or bring a bottle of something? Proverbs addresses that. When I go get gas, do I let the attendant pump it in order to be generous to that person? Or in order to save up, do I pump it myself? Or do you find yourself sometimes saying at the end of most sentences, with a friend, you know, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. Is that what God wants? All the time honesty? First inclination is to say yes. But Proverbs says something a little different about all the time honesty. There's knowing the difference between right and wrong from God's law lays the foundation for good decisions. But wisdom from God enables us to make great decisions for the fast pace of life. So it's like going from, from good to great. God knows that. He gives us Proverbs. Another great thing about Proverbs is that they're easily memorized. So they can be applied along any road that life takes us. And what Proverbs sometimes sacrifice in terms of immediate clarity, it makes up for in portability. Pro- Proverbs is like, a proverb is like the, a tool and a Swiss Army knife. You can take it, and you should take it wherever you go. In fact, it's the only way that wisdom begins to make sense is if you take wisdom with you and apply it to life. Now, I have two Swiss Army knives, one that my dad got me 30 years ago. It's just in a drawer in my bedroom. And I have one that I I found three years ago, and it's on my keychain, the little mini one. Which one do you think I'm more familiar with? The one on my keychain. I haven't looked. I haven't actually opened That's what army knife that my dad got me in probably a decade or two. Why? Because I bring this one along with me. And that's what Proverbs is. It's the portability of wisdom, meant to be memorized, meant to be known, so you can can break out that tool when necessary. It's the beauty of Proverbs. One more reason we're going to look through Proverbs, though. We spent nearly four months looking into the Acts of the Apostles, the history of, of the early church. And we were preaching and we were practicing great acts in response to Jesus' great and decisive act of love towards us. And whether it was here on a Sunday morning, in community groups, worship nights, or just in everyday life, I, I, was, I was so proud to watch you guys step out courageously with great acts of faith. With, with trying something that was maybe a little bit uncomfortable and seeing God do things that only God can do. It was fantastic. But just as he calls us to great acts, I've since he's also calling us to become people who consistently make great decisions. So on one hand, we have, we have great acts and, and radical acts, but also he's calling us, I think, to be, to be wise people, people who consistently make great decisions, go down that path of life, and with our lives, we bless God and bless other people. So our passage this morning gives us the kind of roadmap for becoming that kind of person. It sets us on the course for becoming a person who makes consistently great decisions, and I hope you want to be that kind of person. I think you do. Here, here's the roadmap that Proverbs 4 sort of lays out for us. Number one, get wisdom. If you want to become a wise person, you've got to get wisdom. Number two, you've got to keep getting wisdom. Number three, you've got to be patient with wisdom. And finally, just as a bonus, we get our first example, our first practical example of wisdom here at the end of Proverbs 4 in the passage we read. So first, if you want to start on the path of wisdom, a path of making great decisions in your life, you've got to get wisdom. Read me verses 5 through 9. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget. And do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her. She will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. The very beginning of wisdom is this. It's so simple. Get wisdom. That's the beginning. And whatever you get, get insight, which is another synonym for wisdom. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Now, at the end of a procession of a Hebrew wedding, the bride places on her groom a garland. It's this graceful adornment on the head of a bridegroom, this kind of crown to signify who he is in her eyes. And, and that's what's happening here. Is the, he's hearkening back to the 10th century B.C. version of the talk with his son. Not the birds and the bees talk, that kind of talk, but, but pursuing a worthy woman to become one's wife. And, he, and he's using this analogy to compare the pursuit of a suitor, the pursuit of wisdom. Just at the end of the pursuit of a worthy woman, you get this graceful garland, this honoring, this crown. When you pursue wisdom that way also, you will get this crown. You will get this this ceremony of honor when you pursue wisdom, which is you know, something I can relate to, this pursuit. I can relate to a woman hard one. Now, my wife, Katie's not feeling well this morning, so she dropped off her kids and can't be with us, so I, I feel bad sharing this, but she did give me her permission. So, uh, but you can't look at her and wonder her reaction might be when I share this. But uh, I, I can tell you in my life about a woman hard one. After initial interest, Katie cooled off to this All right, when after, after I first met her, Okay. And she cooled off to this while I was simultaneously I was convinced that God was calling me to marry her. And it got to the point where friends were even encouraging me, man, just give up. Like, find, find her somewhere else. Find a different her in your life. But instead, I stepped up the visits. We didn't go to the same university. I, I wrote scriptures on postcards, sent them to her. I called up friends of hers who I barely even knew to like, initiate little surprises for her. In life, all the while, she, she was letting me know that she had very little interest on the way. She was, Katie was absolutely, and she agreed with this very hard one. And so is wisdom. Wisdom is hard one. Solomon's dad is trying to, to say to him, it takes the same kind of pursuit of a man in love, a man pursuing the woman he wants to be his wife. That's what it takes to get wisdom. So so wisdom doesn't come through osmosis, all right? Wisdom isn't something which you you cross your fingers and wish for. It it rarely is going to come into your inbox just sometime on a Monday afternoon or is it going to come across in your Facebook feed. All right, you can hope, you know, if I just find the right person, the the right friend to come through that door, the right mentor to walk through that door, then I'll become wise. And wisdom says, nope, (laughs) you need to go through that door and find her. You need to go. Wisdom doesn't necessarily come even with age. In fact, wisdom doesn't really come at all. It's gone out and gotten. Wisdom has gone out and gotten. So in verse 7, we see that, right? The beginning of wisdom is this. You've got to get wisdom. That's on you and me. So how do you do that? How do you go out and get wisdom? Well, you just got to ask for it. First of all, ask God for it. James chapter 1, verse 5 through 6 says this. In the New Testament book of James, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That's interesting, right? God will give without reproach, but the encouragement here is to ask with faith. You need to ask without doubting. And if you read what our Lord has to say about prayer, he makes something very clear. One of the great antidotes to doubt in your walk with God is persisting in prayer. Asking, seeking, knocking, being like that widow. He keeps going to the judge and says, I want to get this. And so even in the prayer, even in the asking God for wisdom, it's hard one Because it takes perseverance, going back to God again and again. So ask God. But also, if you want to get wisdom, ask other people. And I, you know, I tell my boys, oftentimes, one of the great regrets of my childhood, probably my greatest regret is I, didn't, I was not a kid who asked enough questions. I was the kid, I wanted other people to like me. I didn't want to say something stupid, so I didn't ask enough questions. But this is a key to wisdom. Ask, first of all, so you know whom to ask. You never know from whom you're going to get wisdom. You just never know. It will surprise you. By asking first indiscriminately and about all kinds of things over time, you'll know whom to ask and about what. So ask, you start to know whom to ask. But asking also helps those who dispense wisdom. My experience has been that it's it's easier to be more clear and direct with a person who humbly asks, who asks an opinion, asks for counsel, asks for wisdom. Why? Because there's less need to sugarcoat something, right? There's no need to, to filter it. You can give it to them directly because you know they're eager to hear it. And so they actually, you end up actually getting better wisdom. You get a clearer wisdom by being humble enough to ask for it, you see. But it comes with the cost. You notice that the second half of this proverb in verse seven. He said, whatever you, you know, whatever, you know, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Whatever you get, get insight. That's the second half there of verse seven. All commentators agree this basically means something like, even if you have to sacrifice something else to get it, even if you put aside something else to get it, get wisdom. Let that be the thing you get. Let something else fall to the side. In other words, there's a cost. And the cost here, oftentimes, when you, when you ask a question of something, maybe you should have asked 10 years ago. Maybe you should have asked when you were a teenager. Maybe you are a teenager and you should have asked when you were 10 the cost is some people will think you're unintelligent or uncultured. That's the cost. You might look like you're dumb, but you're not. And you have to make the decision, what are you going to prize more highly, the opinion of man or the wisdom of God? Of course, it says in verse 8, prize her highly. She will exalt you. So ask God, ask others. Also, ask yourself yourself. Ask yourself constantly, what wisdom can I gain from this? Because there's lessons everywhere in the world we live in. Everywhere. When you see a shrewd purchase that someone makes in business or or a wise proposition or when you see someone act with tact towards their coworkers or competitors and you see that soften a person, that's wisdom, right? When, When you see different people and the way they respond to adversity, you can get it from anywhere. We try not to let our kids watch too much TV. All right, full disclosure, but Gage, our youngest Gage, likes to carry on a conversation. Really, our youngest Gage, likes to carry on a conversation about anything. But specifically, he likes to sometimes probe about TV shows he can you know, watch and be able to watch. My friends watch this, they watch this. So one time he was talking about a show, and I missed some of the details. I'm, a, I'm sometimes not a great father. Do you get this as a parent sometimes where your kids start talking about details about something in media, and you're just like, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do that sometimes. It's bad. It's bad. I should not do that. But I didn't know what the show he was talking about was, but something caught my attention. In the show he was watching, this TV show, he described a kid who won an election for class president. But he thought the other candidate who was running against him was more qualified, had better ideas. And, and, and the one who, who won realized, actually, as a student in the school, I would benefit more from them being president. So he gave up the presidency. And it was just a small moment where I encouraged my son, yeah. That's right. That's wisdom. If you find someone more competent, it's great to make a sacrifice and long run more beneficial for you if you give them that position or you exalt them or you encourage them. And in that moment, I was just so encouraged that even if you watch TV, even if you watch a movie, be thoughtful. Ask yourself, what can I learn from even something I'm watching? So constantly ask yourself, what, what can I gain from this? What wisdom can I gain? Ask God, ask others, ask yourself. It requires humility. But that's the only way you're going to get wisdom. Secondly, first, you get get wisdom, but keep getting wisdom. You might this might sound like I'm trying to hammer home a point, and I am. Because as we carry on in this passage, we'll notice the spouse wife imagery carries on also. Verse 13 keep hold of instruction. Guard her. She is your life. So he's talking continually about this she, this idea of marrying wisdom. Now when a person gets married, something happens to them over a period of time. Right? It could be four or five years, could be a year, could be six months, it could be when you get home from your honeymoon. I'm not talking about pregnancy, although that's possible too. All right, it's depending especially on, you know, what 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 your what your plan is for that. But I'm talking specifically about stagnation. You know, you have, one of the things that's so great about marriage is you get the security of being married to something else, the, the safety net, the comfort, but that can also turn into stagnation. The same security we long for in marriage can turn into stagnation over time. And so many marital counselors wisely encourage people who are married to date their spouse. You ever heard this? You want to continue to date your spouse, even if you're married. You want to act like and pursue her like you did when you were dating. Plan special nights out, right, to surprises. You, you stay active together. You do some spontaneous dancing together, right? Katie loves that. She loves when I just spontaneously dance with her. She does not, actually. She, she prefers that I not do that primarily in life. But, but you want to do things to keep it interesting, you know? And it's not one of the things she likes. But the same is true of wisdom. You, you might be wise. You may have made the wisest decisions in life and the wisest decision you can ever make which is turn from a life of sin and self-indulgence and turn to Jesus for salvation. That's the wisest decision. But in becoming wise, you might feel like you've you've made it. You're wise, and maybe you are. So I want to encourage you, keep your relationship with wisdom thriving by getting more wisdom. Pursue wisdom. Date wisdom. If, If you know wisdom well, continue to date her. Because if you don't, you'll stagnate. And what's going to happen is you become prideful. Come to think, I've already made it. I've already come. I don't need to get more wisdom. I, this is I kind of got the keys I need to life, and now it's just smooth sailing. Proverbs says no. Keep going. In fact, I want to show you a really cool connection here to the book of Proverbs. If you would, flip your Bible over to 1 Kings. It's a little earlier than Proverbs. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6. That's going to be on page 243. 243 if you're using one of the Bibles we provided. 1 Kings 3, chapter 6. And I want you to turn there, if you would. Keep a a finger bookmark in Proverbs, but 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6. And while you turn there, let me tell you a little bit about Solomon. In the 10th century B.C., Solomon wrote the majority of these Proverbs, except for a small section at the end. Uh, Solomon was regarded as the wisest man who ever lived prior to Jesus. So he wrote down for us all this portable wisdom that he used during his life, and it was later collected by King Hezekiah, this later king. Um, now to 1 Kings. If you're familiar at all with the Bible, what we're about to read, you'll remember this. You'll remember this is the moment where God goes genie. God goes all genie on us, and he, he, he says to Solomon, Ask whatever you wish, and I'll give it to you. Right? And it's this moment where it's like you're rubbing, Solomon somehow rubbed the magic lamp. Here comes God, and he's going to grant this prayer, this wish. Let's read verses 6 through 9. Chapter th- 3 of 1 Kings Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant. David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness. So Remember, God has already asked him, hey, look, ask whatever you wish in an uprightness of heart towards you and you kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on the throne this day. That son, of course, is him, Solomon. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am still but a little child. I don't know how to go out or come in And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people. Too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So here comes the request. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people. So Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked to be able to have the ability to take what's right and apply it to real-life situations of his people to take the law of God, what is true, what is great, what is fixed as truth, and be able to apply it in the lives of God's people. That's what he asked for. Now most of us assume that when you maybe have read this passage before, this is where Solomon gets wise. This is where he becomes a wise young man. Now he goes on and he writes Ecclesiastes, he writes Proverbs. Right? He, people come from all over the world now, all over the Middle East to come visit him for his wisdom now. Now is the time where he finally becomes wise wise, but our passage that we're reading this morning sets a little different light on this later request of Solomon's life. Turn back with me in Proverbs 4. Boop. Get your finger bookmarked back there. Proverbs 4, starting in verse 3. This is Solomon speaking, right? When he's, He says, when I was the son of my father, he's talking about David, right? When I was the son of my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, my father taught me, and he said to me, let your heart Hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Solomon is speaking, of course, about his dad, David. In other words, Solomon has already been trained in wisdom. This famous request then in, in 1 Kings 3 is a man who's already been married to wisdom. The one time God has genie request is then to know wisdom more. Imagine if you had one request of God that you could ask, and you'd already become a very wise person in life. You had a great mentor, someone who trained you how to make wise decisions, how to have the humility to be taught and to grow in wisdom. What would you ask for? Solomon asked for more wisdom. It's remarkable. That that is his desire I just want to grow in wisdom. In other words, someone didn't just become wise one day when God granted him more wisdom through prayer. He was already wise. He just wanted to pursue wisdom even more. Well, we do the same. Those of us who think we are wise, keep asking God, keep asking us, keep asking yourself, what can I learn from this situation? Or have you already got enough wisdom in life? taking a couple of days away to, to study this book, to study and meditate on Proverbs, I, I got together some of my old journals. I used to write just prayers and old thoughts about God's Word and what was going on in my life, these sorts of things. I got together these old journals. In my one hand, I had Proverbs in the other hand. I was just kind of reading them together and a noticeable pattern emerged as I looked through my life. And it was this. In my 20s, I pretty much knew I had it all together. I pretty much... Knew most things. It was pretty clear, anyway, (laughs) in my journals. Now, when I turned 30, I started to doubt this theory. It was also very clear. I was like, I'm not sure I do know everything. And now as I approach 40, I'm very sure (laughs) that I know very little, all right, in my life. I think that's the way it's supposed to work. And increasingly, God is showing me that's the posture I got to take when it comes to getting wisdom into my life. Like, I, I really do know Very little. And increasingly, it seems like less and less. So why not keep pursuing it? Keep pursuing wisdom. And the third sort of step that Proverbs leads us to on this roadmap to becoming a wise person is be patient with wisdom. It's easy to overlook, but be patient with wisdom. She will reward you over time, and she will change you by degree. So first, she will reward you over time. The major rewards for practicing wisdom are are right here in this passage. We see they are security, honor, and general prosperity. First, verse six: security. As you gain wisdom, you'll have a more secure life. Verse six: we read that she will keep you, she will guard you. If if you look over a page over Proverbs chapter three, verse twenty-three and twenty-four, it says that you will walk on your way securely. When you get wisdom, you'll walk on your way securely. Your feet will not stumble. Your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. And when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. That's what happens when you get God's wisdom more and more into your life. You'll also get honor. Look at verse eight. Prize her highly, she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace wisdom. Again, that marriage imagery, of getting to know her better and better and better. Who doesn't want that in life? To live a life of honor, of respect. Among the people you love or the people you meet or your coworkers, your neighbors. And finally, general prosperity. That's a dangerous word sometimes in mission in church, prosperity. Look at verse 10, though. Hear, my son, accept my words that the years of your life may be many. It's said more explicitly also in Proverbs 3, chapter, uh, verses 16 and 17 about wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. So there's, there's so many rewards for gaining wisdom, but the key to understanding all these great rewards for a life of pursuing wisdom and God's wisdom. The, the the key to appreciating them is in verse eighteen. Look at that with me. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. Now that's one of those proverbs that's easy to overlook. You're like, Okay, cool. <laughs> Brightness, light, that's great. But if you look at it, just just think of it a little more closely. It's a simple image of a nomad who sits out on the journey at dawn. He's barely able to see the light ahead of him, what's next on his path, but he trusts this is the right path. This is the wise path to take. As it turns 8 a.m., you can see that truth a little bit more. As it turns 10 a.m., you can see it more. And finally, he's under the bright afternoon Palestinian sun where you can see all the creatures along the path, all the rocks, all the potholes, knowing which way to go. And that's how wisdom works. As you consistently apply wisdom to life, you progressively notice the rewards of wisdom. You start to see them in your life. With Proverbs, people get into trouble in this way. When they take every proverb to be a promise, Proverbs are not promises. Let me say that one more time. Proverbs are not promises. They are principles that are generally true. You can be a wise person and die at an early early age. You can be a wise person and not have prosperity in the way all the ways that Proverbs specifically describes it. Proverbs are generally true, or rather, that you see them become progressively true when practiced over time. You start to see some of the rewards come in. So she will reward you over time. She will also change you by degree. There's this wonderful pastor. I when I prepared this sermon, who was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, nineteenth century British man, Alexander McLaren. He preached a sermon on just Proverbs 4.18 in which he envisions humans being made righteous by Jesus, but they shine brighter and brighter and brighter as they walk in wisdom. In other words, he looked at Proverbs 4.18 and said, this is the image of a person who grows brighter and brighter by the life they lead. And he concluded that the, the most radiant thing on earth is the character of a good man. But you have to be patient in wisdom because character doesn't just happen like that. Character isn't changed instantaneously. St. Corinthians 3.18 says this, We all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, getting wisdom from God, beholding all of who he is, are being changed into the same image of our Lord Jesus Christ. But What does it say there at the end? From one degree of glory to the next. And so wisdom, she will change you by degree. One degree of glory to the next. Finally, I want to end this morning. We get a, a bonus here. Our first example of wisdom. A major theme in Proverbs is, is a, an image of two paths in life. Proverbs imagines life as two paths. The, the path of wisdom on the one hand and the path of foolishness on the other hand. Two paths in life. That's it. You got two choices. There's not a third path. There's, there's different names in Proverbs for the Path of righteousness, pro, path of the wicked. But basically two paths. You can walk down. And we see that here. Look at verses 14 through 17. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep until they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep until they made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness. They drink wine of violence. We'll go on to verse 19 here. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. The wisdom we get here this little nugget of wisdom we can end on, is that people tend to choose what they previously chose just to a greater degree. In life, what what Proverbs is saying, people tend to choose what they last chose just to a greater degree. Give me an example of this. In the United States alone, roughly 600,000 people undergo heart bypasses every year. 600,000 people. These people are told that they're not only after their bypass, that they must change their lifestyle. The heart, heart bypass is meant to be a temporary fix, right? Like a Band-Aid, as one doctor said. They must change their diet, right? you got to quit smoking and drinking. you got to exercise and practice a healthier lifestyle. In essence, the doctors say, look, you had this done to your heart, but you got to either change or die. And you would think that a near-death experience would forever grab the attention of the person struck and this situation would, would cause them to want to change, but the reality is 90%, 90% of heart patients do not change. 90%. 90% keep choosing what they initially chose. Overeating, over-drinking, over-indulging, over over-working, over-sitting. And Proverbs shows us why. Notice... In the verses we just read, the progressive enslavement of one who, who just sets their path on the foot of the wicked. It starts with a little flirtation, right? That little stepping of, on the path of the, of, of the wicked. A weekend of partying, surfing too wayward on the internet. Indulging in something that's kind of caught your curiosity. Or going to that comfort food so you can numb what hurts, hurts you. These are ways in which we can overindulge. And notice in verse 16 and 17, how quickly it goes from just setting your path, setting your foot on that path, to sort of your world is turned upside down. There's that kind of upside down morality going on here. It goes from an adventurous diversion one night to slavish duty. Solomon talks about going from desert to, to, to gruel, from a clear conscience that helps a person sleep to you can only sleep when you involve someone else into your misery. Now, the misery loves company idea. The final result, it says in verse 19, is, look at that, deep darkness. This is a very unique word, and I think Solomon's using it very intentionally here. It's a word that we we see actually in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 10, verse 22, to describe the ninth plague in Egypt. That ninth plague, right before death, here it says, this is what it says precisely, pitch darkness in all the land. Solomon is, is saying then that, Wickedness goes quickly from a from a sort of harmless one night adventure to a plague of great darkness with no escape. And the reality of life is, you are should be amazed how quickly you go from just setting your foot on that path to that deep darkness in life. They you know not over what they stumble anymore. The Bible calls this a hardened heart, or it says in First Timothy four two, a seared conscience. Conscience, I call it just the suicide of the will. With every choice down that path of wickedness, you, you lose your capacity to choose. You deaden your will more and more. Notice, notice Proverbs 4 only gives us the, the word of warning, the wisdom of warning. It offers no solution, though, for a deadened will. We get to the end and we don't get a solution. What happens if, if I am in deep darkness? And thankfully, for any of you who are listening this morning and recognize you are, you've gone down such a path, you're in deep darkness. You don't even know how to live anymore because your will is so has become so deadened. There is one glorious solution for us in Jesus Christ. So I want to close with this reading of the good news. If you find yourself down that path, it's from Ephesians two, chapter one through verse ten. Just listen to this, if you would. It'll be up on the screen. You were dead in the tr- in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Notice that's almost a, a little summary of into pro- Proverbs four, right? You were dead. Your will was dead because you kept walking and choosing wickedness as you walked down that path. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but, and this is such a glorious but, God being rich in mercy is the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, when our will was dead, and trespasses. He made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the coming ages, he might show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. You notice this walk motif throughout. And it's a total reversing, reversal of walking in this passage, isn't it? That's a possibility for you, a total reversal, not only in direction, but in deeds. You can walk into good works. So real results, not just positive momentum, if you find yourself down that path, you can turn to Jesus. So, for those of us who are tempted to take that one harmless step down the path of wickedness, wisdom calls you, don't do it. Don't even step lightly on that path because like that, you will become darkened. Your conscience will become hardened. So you'll be so hard, it'll even be hard to see your need for grace. To those of you, though, who are down that road, and you even know right now as you are listening, that's me. I I am so far down that path it's hard for me to know the difference anymore between right or wrong, turn to Jesus and reach out to him this morning. He will make you alive together with him and show you the riches of knowing him forever. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful this morning for wisdom. I know it's a cry of my heart, and I pray it's a cry of many, that, that God, we have only begun, that we need to get more wise It's a cry, I think, of our hearts that we want to be people who consistently make great decisions in life that bless you and that bless other people. So, Father, help us start to walk down that path. Help us, even this week, seek to get wisdom. And for those of us who think we're we're wise enough, help us heed the word of Proverbs. Keep getting wisdom. And be patient as wisdom begins to unravel itself and change our life, change our character. And I just pray for anyone this morning, Father, down that path, that dark path that, that Proverbs describes, Lord, where the will almost seems dead, where it's hard to even choose anymore because we're so wrapped up in poor decisions and wickedness, as Proverbs describes it. I pray such a person would reach out to Christ and trust that he, w- he will make us alive with him. He will turn around the course of our lives so that we not only change on the inside, but we can live lives of good works that bless others for the rest of our days. God, we plead with you for such people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.